0: a cold wind blew through the open doors of the cliffside church, chasing the Reverend Olafur Egilsson as he fled from the raiders. Behind him, the small town of Grindavik, which the Reverend called home, had been set ablaze. Pirates from strange and distant lands across the sea had invaded the quiet town in the dead of night and were now dragging men, women and children back to their ships. Before the Reverend could bolt the wooden door shut, a heavy boots slammed them open again, and Olaf fell back onto the hard stone. Three men strode over the threshold. Each man wore rich silk stained with sea salt, sweat and blood, and each wielded a scimitar pointed at the reverend. When they spoke to one another, Olaf couldn't understand the words, but from the silk turbans they wore, he guessed that they were speaking Turkish, an ungodly tongue for heathens. Before the reverend himself could speak, however, a swift strike from the pommel of a scimitar knocked him out cold. When Olafur woke up, he was being dragged by two of his pursuers along the beach. Blood dripped from his forehead, and he could feel thick ropes binding his wrists behind his back, cutting deep into his skin. As his wits returned to him, the Reverend looked around to see the other captives lying on the beach. There were hundreds of them, all bound and bloodied as he was. Feverishly. Olafur scanned the faces of the captives to see if his wife and children were among them, but before he could find them, he was thrown down to the ground before a tall figure. Like the other raiders, this man wore lavish clothing and a fine white turban atop his head. But unlike the others, this man was older and a shade more distinguished. He had a great white beard, and behind it, a wicked smile drew across his lined face. One of the men who had captured and dragged the reverend spoke up again, this time, surprisingly, in English, and even more surprisingly, in an unmistakable English accent. That's right, Reverend, stay on your knees, for before you stands Murat Rees, Admiral of this here pirate fleet, and our beloved President. <laughs> Hello listeners and welcome back to the Cloak & Dagger podcast, the podcast where we tell strange tales of history. My name is Patrick Courtney and I'm joined as ever by
1: my co-host Will. Will, we are back! I know, it's so good to be back on the airwaves after a little bit longer a break than we possibly thought we'd have. Yeah, Um, quite quite a while, we apologise for
0: that. Yeah, but you know, at least we're back. Yes, we are back and we are changing things up. We are kind of moving into a new phase. I think we said this at the end of the last one, that we're kind of moving into a new phase of this podcast because we are moving to serial. Is that the right term? I think it... Wait, weren't we already serial? We were season-based and now we are now we're no forever, we are forever until <laughs> one of us dies. I think we made that joke on the last one as well. I think we might have. But we will be releasing at a regular schedule rather than in seasons that come out at random times whenever we have a schedule. We are moving to a monthly release schedule. At the end of the month, you'll have a brand new episode of the Kirk & Dagger podcast. Possibly we'll have some extras thrown in every now and again when we find time or find something really cool that we want to talk about.
1: Yeah, so I think that's the main the main thrust, really, because we, we realised that by going through seasonally, we realised that we were being chafed a bit by the structure of it. So we found lots of different stories that we've been collecting over the last, what, three years now, yeah. which don't really fit into murders or cities or battles, which we want to tell you guys. So... Mm. What we came up with was a brand new way of doing it so that you will always have the Cloak & Dagger podcast at your fingertips for as long as you care to listen to us. Aren't
0: you all lucky? We also have an Instagram account at Cloak & Dagger podcast where you can find clips from the episodes and a whole bunch of extra content that go alongside the episodes. You can get in touch with us as we always like to chat with you guys. Also rate and review us wherever you get a podcast. It really helps at the show or just tell a friend because we really like
1: how this has kind of grown over the last... Two years? Three years, Three I think. years? Yeah, 2021. Yeah. So without further ado... Yes, without
0: further ado, let's dive into our first episode, which is my episode. So, our tale begins amongst the bloodstained tulip fields of the Netherlands during the Dutch Revolt, round about the end of the 16th century. How much do you know about the Dutch Revolt?
1: Well, from what I know, uh, the Dutch Revolt, and uh, tell me if I'm wrong here, which will be cut out, (laughs) (laughs) Um, is uh, is that when it was the Spanish Netherlands?
0: Yes, the Habsburg Empire. Right. And they were like, this is terrible. Get rid of the Spaniards.
1: And so you had um, the Orange, the Dukes of Orange, rising Mm. up. And I'm pretty sure Elizabeth wouldn't commit troops. Elizabeth I was in power in England, but Mm. she would send ships and money to help with the Dutch Revolt. Because they were Protestant.
0: Yes, exactly. So there's a lot going
1: on. I mean, this is all kind of Reformation.
0: The whole Western Europe is all kind of getting thrown up into the air because of the Reformation. So there's a lot going on at this time. Our story is taking place at the right at the end of the 16th century, um, right about when uh, Netherlands is really starting to get into the full swing because this is an 80-year war they get into. Oh, wow. And I'm not going over the whole 80-year war. In fact, actually, the, the tale is of a guy who really kind of came of age during the start of this war so we kind of get a sense of like the horrors that he's going into i mean imagine an 80 year war oh, i mean no. i know that wars back in the day weren't quite as destructive as the kind of world war 2 wars we think of nowadays but still 80 years of war especially a revolt like it's not even like off in the distance. It's like throughout the Netherlands, they're fighting off their oppressors.
1: Yeah, and I think 80 years now, obviously feels like a lifetime, because that's the average sort of lifespan, but mm. go back to the 1500s, and people are dying at 25 years old. And so, you could have three generations of the same family dying in an 80-year war. Christ, that is depressing. As, as, Sorry, as fighting age, not yeah. like as babies. Isn't oh. that crazy?
0: Yeah, imagine thinking like your granddad. Like fighting on a field or to take a, a like a village or something, and thinking your granddad lost it or that you're they gained it and you took it back or something like these previous generations, but still the same war. Like if we think about our previous generations, it's like another world. Yeah, but they would literally think it's the same war, fighting the same enemy for the same reasons.
1: Yeah, and I suppose also back then, you're pre-industrial still. And so technology is slower. Mm. So actually your granddad might have fought with the same weapons that you as the your, as the grandson would still be fighting with. Exactly. Yeah. And that's probably why they took it so bloody long. Yeah, yeah.
0: So it's it's a bad time. All okay. those lovely tulip fields and windmills that we think of the Netherlands now just covered in blood and bullet holes and all sorts of things. It wasn't <laughs> that was terrible. But it was, you know, it's pretty bad. Eighty Years' War, pretty rough. Yeah. But our tale is about a young man who is looking to find his way in the world. And his name is a pretty impressive one, because it is Jan Janzoon. Jan
1: Janzoon. Jan Jan it's a good name, isn't it? And he, Wait a minute, that sounds almost like Far Eastern. Was he Chinese? It, no, no, he was okay. Dutch. He was Dutch? Oh, He okay. was very much Dutch. He was from Harlem.
0: Oh, he was from Harlem, the original? Yeah. The original Harlem, ah. yeah, yeah, is yeah. spelled differently. More A's in it. Oh. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so Jan Janzoon, who I will... Referred to as Janzoon, because I think it's the funner part of his name. Um, We don't know too much about his early life, um, but he was born in 1570. And this is like really diving into the 80 Years' War, because in 1572, his town of Harlem was besieged by the Spanish for like seven months. So for his like formative years, he is surrounded by war and death and fighting. So you can, although we don't know a huge amount about like his early life, you can kind of infer It's probably not great. No, not great. It's pretty rough. Or at the very least, you know, he might have just become, start to be like desensitized to that kind of thing. I mean, I can't even imagine what it would be like being that young and just growing up that. And it's not like the war ended as soon as the, I mean, William Orange eventually showed up and saved them all. But the country is still at war and the whole nation is is thrown into turmoil. So that's the world he is growing up into. Okay. What we do know is that when he turned 25, he married a woman called Sutgan. Um, And they had a son, Edward, and a daughter, Lisbeth. So he was maybe setting himself up for for a nice, uh, happy life. But what we can also infer is that his real love was the sea. Um, Because in 1600, he was given letters of marquee from the Dutch government to
1: become a privateer. Oh okay nice yeah. so straight away straight i mean it's not that surprising the dutch at the time were just starting to be a fled not even fledgling at that point they the dutch east indies were such an important thing that mm. people don't talk about as much as the british East Indian yeah, Company, yeah. but actually, yeah, the the Dutch, him being a Dutchman and a sailor, really is typecasting a, uh, a an early modern Dutchman.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when you're young and you're like, this kind of a new way of making your living in the world, and also maybe wanting to get away from this this town that has been under siege. Um because I'm also his wife and kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe a little bit, you know. <laughs> um, because especially as like we I mean, I'm assuming he might have a love for the sea, but he might also have just like wanted the money because you know, privateering can be a really good, successful career. Um, or maybe liked a bit of danger and a little battle. You know, you are effectively like an official pirate. If you don't know what a privateer is, it's like being a pirate on behalf of a nation
1: and they're like we'll give you some money if you go pirate the other nations merchant ships. yeah and letters of mark basically gave you a uh, a sort of a, a carte blanche so if if you were caught then you were okay because you're actually one of the uh the members of of the state yeah yeah and you're kind but, of a soldier but the, but but the kicker is anything you bring back to the state they take a huge chunk of it Mm. So that's sort of the sort of the the, the devil's bargain. Yes, exactly.
0: And the, you know, I'm I'm sure this happens a few times to people. But maybe you know, as your privateer, you know, big government is taking the you know taking their handful out of the the booty that you recover from Spanish galleons. A handful of my booty. I know exactly. <laughs> You'd be kind of annoyed, wouldn't you? <laughs> yes. So what does Jan keep it together? This is a brand new episode. We've got to stay focused. I'm fine. I'm fine. So what does Jan Zoom do? He starts to push the boundaries a bit, and he starts to go a bit beyond what he has been hired to do. And he actually ends up sailing all the way south to the Barbary coast, to the North African Ah. ports.
1: Hang on, hang on a second. I just wanted to quickly just to to ask, who was he meant to be um, attacking? The Spanish? The Spanish. Just the Spanish?
0: Just the Spanish. Okay, okay. I mean, you know, you don't want to attack... I mean, I guess other potentially catholic nations they probably wouldn't be too bothered about because they are kind of on opposing sides but you wouldn't want to attack the british they need their their support so he's meant to just be harassing spanish ships and he's not really supposed to be going as far south as the barbary coast
1: because obviously the spanish treasure ships which are coming from the spanish empire over in uh, south america Mm. bringing silver and gold from there which is what the English version of Jan Jan Janzoon. Francis Drake. Francis Drake. So he wouldn't have to go anywhere near the Barbary coast Mm. because he'd be in the Atlantic. He has no business being in the Mediterranean. No business at all. What is Janzoon up to? Hmm. So he has decided
0: that maybe some of the time he'll be a good, honourable Dutch privateer, but then some of the other time he'll go full pirate. Oh, And he becomes a kind of Barbary pirate and actually at certain times when he's attacking non-spanish ships including like french or english he will fly the crescent moon and star flag of the turks so he will hide as a turk when he is raiding these other ships and that's him going full pirate i mean he's not doing that on behalf of anyone okay couple of questions yeah first of all barbary coast mm-hmm. define so the barbary coast is essentially the north um coast of africa And at this time, it was kind of ruled semi, it was semi under control by a few different sultanates like the Turks, um, but it had lots of kind of powerful city states similar to kind of Italy. So the big ones were Algiers, Tunis, and Tripoli, which today are the capital cities of Algeria, Tunisia, and Libya. So these are the kind of the big important port cities that have a huge amount of sway uh, in this region and they are actually a bit of a hub for pirates. Ah. Or the Barbary Corsairs, which are kind of
1: like privateers, but for these city states. Okay. Second question. Yes. When he goes and I air quote full Turk <laughs> We're presuming now I uh, this might be me assuming, and we mm-hmm. know what that makes an ass out of you and me, mm-hmm. uh, that he being a Dutchman mm. is probably fair skinned. Yeah, you'd think so. So how is he meant to play off that he's a barbary pirate so it seems like there's quite a few dutch people going that
0: way and becoming a pirate so i think the idea is that actually at this time the pirates are kind of from all over the shop so if you are and they and nations will or these city states will hire sailors from other regions so you could be kind of legitimately working for say algiers as a barbary corsair but be Dutch or be English or be French because it's all this kind of it's coming a bit of a melting pot and pirates don't have as many rules or regulations about who can hire. they're probably a little more loosey-goosey when it comes to this sort of stuff and will take anyone who can sail
1: Yeah and actually thinking about it the Turk the Turkish culture from like the Ottomans mm-hmm. um, they constantly were um, they weren't just a the race was not a, th- a factor for them they'd employ Christians as servants, um, as civil servants, sorry, within mm. the main court. And they'd actually have Anglo-Saxons and Norwegians in the palace guard. Ooh. So because they weren't uh, Muslims, yeah. they then had uh, less, there was no power structure for them to climb. So they were always on the side of the emperor. It's like the Praetorian Guard in, in, in Rome. So yes. interestingly, so there's always been that culture in the Turkish culture mm. of employing non-Turkish people in powerful roles.
0: mm Interestingly, and I don't think that really exists in Western Christian states. I can't think of a, any no. in, in, Not indication. Not that I can think of. It would be just like, it'd be a uh,
1: scandal. The Pope wouldn't allow it. You can't be hiring non-Christians to do anything. Even when, um, uh, during, I can't remember who it was, but whoever's, I think it's King Francis II... Uh, during Elizabeth the first time he made no 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 sorry yeah yeah he made a treaty a trade treaty with the Ottomans mm-hmm. instead of with Christian countries and he was basically cancelled by the other heads of Europe yeah even though it was so advantageous for him because the Ottoman Empire is rich and mm. perfect it's just that they have different l- religions so he made a pragmatic choice but it's just really interesting anyway yeah different clash of cultures. From the western side is very different to the eastern side.
0: But that only applies if you are like officially part of the military or a privateer. If you're a pirate, you know you can do what you want. Like very that's true. the thing. There's a freedom to this. I mean, because also, Yanzun was definitely enjoying his freedom because when he starts to go head south to become a Barbary corsair and a bit more of a pirate, he's a fully abandoned his um, family. Oh, has he's he? He's never cut. Co- yeah, he's not. He's not going back. He is out on the open seas. He is. You know, he's living his best life. And <laughs> just so we're all very aware because we I don't really want to celebrate him too much. Part of living his best life is taking slaves. That's a big part of Barbary pirates. It's a big part of this time.
1: It's very unpleasant, but he is not necessarily a great guy. Yeah, it's very interesting because actually at the time, actually it's a little early maybe, but the pirates of the Caribbean mm. were very well, m- there was a real split within within that uh, with the legends of the Caribbean. Yeah, um, some were very, very anti-slavery, and some were. Uh, and I'm talking not just the ones who were from African descent, but also yeah. white men and women. But actually, there was a side which was pro-slavery. So it does divide pirates, which is very interesting. Slavery is such a hot topic, no matter what point in history you're at. Is it? It's
0: always, it's always a dividing line. It really is, and when which is sad. Is it involved, should just be one way
1: stop yeah. it like just, just stop it I mean not to judge people in the past but it's, it's okay, difficult can. yeah exactly you have to see them in context mm. but this is interesting because in context there was this debate going on Yeah. so even in context there and they've chosen that it's side. It's pretty
0: bad. Yeah, Yanzun doesn't really have a leg to stand on. But no. he is, you know, living his best life. He's out at the Barbary Coast. It's warm, it's sunny. It's probably very hot actually compared to <laughs> to the Dutch climate he's used to. Yeah. But he is away from the, you know, the war in his country and he's just out having fun. Okay. Presumably. And yeah. making quite a bit of money. He's a very good captain. He's a very good pirate. Okay. However, it doesn't last forever. So he's actually like 18 years. So it's quite a while. And wow. He spends a long time being a pirate down the Barbary Coast. And in that time, he even starts a new family. He marries a Moorish woman by the name of Margarita, and he has four children with them. I'll come back to his children right at the end. Okay. But it is relevant that he has his whole other family. However, while he was doing this and kind of playing this double act between... Because he still was occasionally playing the kind of Dutch privateer role, as well as the kind of Barbary pirate. Mm. But... Until this time, that the Barbary pirate side of it and the flying the the flag um, of the Turks and everything, it was just kind of to hide the illegal stuff he was doing. It was kind of to get away with it. It was more practical. It didn't actually mean anything to him. He was in incognito mode. Exactly. That all changed in 1618 when Janzoon himself was captured by corsairs from Algiers. So it ah. started to piss people off, presumably. This Dutchman who was just kind of flying about (laughs) it's funny reference um (laughs) (laughs) and just and you know pirating and probably stealing from these other city states so the out you know the the day of algiers the day is apparently is what their kind of ruler is called it means uncle um there's some really cool different ways of calling things in the barbary coast but yeah so the day of algiers probably went this guy's really annoying me go get him imprisoned him and then in his time in the uh, Algiers prison Yanzun actually converts to Islam he who as you said it before he goes full Turk which ah, is what people called it back then because yeah. it apparently it's quite common Yeah, which is really interesting that there is this kind of conversion I wonder whether or not it's to do with the fact that you know the reformation has caused Christianity to be split in half there's so much division it might not be as appealing I mean I know Islam has its own problems but you know grass is always greener if you're looking for something new and you're building your new life a change in religion.
1: Yeah. Also, if he's starting a new life in an Islamic uh, realm, then it would be advantageous for you to also yes. be... A Muslim, it would help him a lot, and also it might. I don't know. I, I'm such a cynic when well, it comes to this stuff. There
0: are lots of historians that think it may have been forced, but some a lot of people don't think it was that forced because after he converts, he spends a lot of time trying to convert other Christians, other oh really his, oh, his sorry, fellow his sincere. fellow Dutch sailors into Islam. So he is kind of a convert and a bit of a you know a mouthpiece for yeah. Islam. He really does believe, which is nice.
1: Yeah, that is that's very interesting. Um, one question I have. Yes. So you said he went, he goes. Um, he has this l- illustrious career mm-hmm. of being a Corsair. eighteen years, which is a long time to be a pirate and not die. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So that whole time he was, uh, what freelance? He wasn't working out of uh, Tripoli or Tunis or or Algiers, was he? Just like no,
0: it seems that he was. Uh, you know. Moving between the ports, I think he does spend a lot of time in Algiers. At some point, though, he pisses someone off and gets gets captured. So it's not, you know, and I don't think he's really—he's not really going back to uh, the Netherlands much. He might go back and forth a little bit. There was actually a little bit of a story where he goes back. This is a little later. Um, but after he's converted and he goes back to the Netherlands, um, he's able to, like, fly under the flag of Morocco. I'll explain why he's able to do that later. But the, the, the like, the, I think he goes to um, Harlem and the, like, officials there send his family to try and convince him to stay. Huh? Does not work at all. Like, really? he, he couldn't care less. <gasps> he's kind of abandoned that life massively. So his kids and his wife just couldn't care less and then sails off again wow yeah so what a great guy he's not a good guy (laughs) he's He's i mean the reason i'm telling the story is because i don't really subscribe to like the great men of history thing and i don't actually think he does anything so amazing but it's a very interesting life and he touches lots of parts of the world that i think is new especially to me to learn about i didn't i'd I'd heard of the barbary coast and the barbary pirates but i actually didn't know a huge amount about them Mm -hmm. he travels very far and it's at a really interesting time in history where Christianity is tearing itself apart. Islam is kind of blossoming all over the region. And the way they're interacting, you know, this is past the Crusades time, but there's still a lot of am- animosity between these two spheres of the world. And he's right in the middle of them, kind of flipping back and forth between the two.
1: Yeah, that, I, I love that. It's so fascinating. that The bits where um, delineated history, it kind of falls between the cracks. And obviously, in order to go from, say, the the... The medieval period to the early modern that doesn't happen overnight there's this gray zone Mm. and also this story not that we're just trying to flatter your choice of story here patrick but um you've chosen the crux moment when globalism was starting to globalization was just starting Mm. to take off and so you're starting there's a lot more freedom of movement for a guy with no morals basically Mm, exactly
0: it's kind of like i mean this term always gets used but people say like the wild west of things it's almost that for like most of sea ventures because it's kind of it's established enough that people on their own can get to lots of different places you know you're not you're not going forth and exploring the world you are going along shipping lanes so piracy kind of flourishes because it's not so far reaching you know the, the, the english navy and these other massive navies aren't so powerful yet that they can block all of that. No. But they are powerful enough to almost lay the groundworks for pirates to flourish and for these, like, pirate communities. Because that's kind of what these Barbary Coast ports become, kind of hubs
1: for pirates, because they can make so much money out of them. They're, but they're feeding off. They're basically the uh, the sort of... Pa- the, they're, they're, like, leeching off Yes. Uh, the globalism that's happening. Yeah, they're really leeching. a bit of a mean word.
0: I feel like they're, you know, they're they they're they're swindling. They're venture capitalists. You know, well, that's, <laughs> uh, that's worse. I'd say. <laughs> no, I know what you
1: mean. I know what you mean. They're kind of
0: grifters. You know, they're they they're making the best of the situation. You know, these huge superpowers are colliding and actually kind of wasting a huge amount of work by just building armies and smashing them t- against each other. Whereas these guys are just like making money and just building their communities and you know, and also taking
1: loads of slaves. I'm kind of, um, I think I'm not sure which side of the side I'm landing on with these And guys. whilst that's really interesting, I agree. I think it's fascinating to now look at modern day piracy mm. in terms of Somalia, Eritrea and the Houthis. Mm. And you actually think about like actually like how they're perceived today. They're actually disrupting shipping lanes. Yeah. And having a, a, an impact on global trade. Mm. And that is like very interesting that it's still happening today we we kind of think of pirates a lot as being of the past yeah. but actually the uh the idea of pirates is definitely still around today mm. and it's still causing and I'm not saying this, I'm I'm neither pro or anti the Houthis but they, they are having the impact which these guys uh back in the in the 16th and 17th and 18th centuries had on global trade then, yeah. so it's just fascinating that geography stays the same, humanity stays the same. Therefore, mm. only so much can change with technology. Yeah,
0: yeah, you know? it's just very interesting. Yeah, no, the the kind of the background and the reasons for everything all stays the same. Yeah. So yeah, so Yanzun has found his new life, and he's converted to Islam. He also takes on a new name, and if you hadn't guessed, it turns out he is the dude from the start because he chooses the name Murat Reis. Oh, so he is the guy from the beginning
1: of this tale. Ah, oh, okay, to, yeah. So I did not see that coming. Really? Because yeah. I was, I was, I was thinking, telegraphed to hell. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I was sort of going, you said he was a Barbary pirate, so my brain instantly went to a Turkish-looking man. So I didn't well, think... Well, man in turban. You no, I know, assume, but not a guy like who's... Just like the did at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not a pasty white dude from Holland. Mm. You know what I, I mean? I
0: mean, he'd be pretty maybe tanned at this point. Well, he's, what
1: if he was ginger? <laughs> That's a good point, actually. Lots of gingers
0: in, in Holland. The only picture I've seen of him is he's quite old. and He's got white hair and a white beard. So who knows what that hair was? I mean, I feel like... The blistered skin of that, a ginger. I can't imagine he'd <laughs> stayed that far, that long in the South. I feel like he would have been given different nicknames. Yeah. <laughs> um if he'd been really ginger but you know who knows you never know you never know in my head he's ginger um so yeah so Murat Rees, as we now will be calling him it's a good name actually it kind of reminds me of Muad Deeb from I was literally June. just thinking it's Muaddeeb. very like that isn't it it's a really it's a kind of powerful name i mean Yanzun is amazing as well yeah but it's a little I don't know what you mean. It's a little gimmicky. I mean, just Yan Yan zi. it sounds funny to an English ear. Yeah. Murat Reez sounds very cool. Yeah, it also sounds a little bit um threatening. Yes, it Murat definitely does. Riz. And Reez is actually uh roughly translates to kind of captain in Turkish. So it's almost okay. saying Captain Murat. Um oh, okay. is kind of where it goes. Because actually, the first thing he does when he converts and takes his new name, he sails under the command of another Barbary Corsair, a kind of Barbary. Corsair Admiral, I guess you would call him, um, called Suleiman Rees. Mm. And Suleiman Rees is also Dutch.
1: No, Yeah.
0: He's a man he's original. he was born Ivan de Viendeboer. Ivan de Vienboer, um, from Horn in um the Netherlands, and basically had a Kind of the same story as uh, Murat Rees. He, you know, became a Dutch privateer. He went south, became a bit more of a Barbary pirate, got captured, converted to Islam, and now has become like an admiral of Barbary Corsairs. That is fascinating. So it's happening. That's what I was saying when you were like... How is he getting away pretending to be uh, a Barbary corsair? Turns out there's loads of Dutch people in the Barbary corsairs. <laughs> I chock a block with Dutch.
1: Yeah, and, and presumably also other European nations. It's I not- think
0: I think a lot because the, the the reason you become a pirate is because you know the nations and the mercantile empires like um the east india trading Company, the british east india trading company the dutch east india trading company they squeeze everyone out and they take all the profits from you know the the workers the sailors actually aboard the ships where pirating gives you the chance to make your own way in life and that dream is there for everyone it's not specific to any one nation yeah if i what you mean
1: yeah I, I do i do um i would <clears throat> slightly though, just a reminder mm-hmm. to temper that with, because um, it's slightly legendizing these people. That's not a word, but I've made it up. Um, but I mean more legendizing. I think that should be a word. Legendizing. Yeah, that will we'll go for it. Yeah. But in terms of, it's also important to remember that these were not necessarily good people. Yeah. They. I mean, the slavery thing. It's all pretty rough. The yeah, slavery yeah, yeah. thing, but not just the slavery thing. The pillaging, the yep. stealing stuff. Like yep. these are not <laughs> role models as much as Disney wants us to have pirates as well. i'm just yeah. saying I yeah know, yeah no no, like- no no No. i agree i
0: mean but i think you know it's it, it's interesting to know that this is they became criminals and kind of bad people but not necessarily although yanzun or murat Riz does seem to have done this it doesn't necessarily because they wanted to be evil or wanted glory it's people who are pushed to the limit and that's what actually happens with modern day pirates it's it's not people aren't doing it because they think it's Cool and exciting. It's because they don't have many other options. Yeah, and I think that happens a lot. And actually, in the Barbary Coast, that happens a lot as well because there's lots of, um, a lot of the a lot of the Barbary Coast have Moors who've been kicked out of, uh, especially Spain, have been driven out with the Spanish Reconquest, um, or the Christian Reconquest of Spain. A lot of Moors end up finding their way to the Barbary Coast. Mm. Um, it's in particular a place that we'll bring up later. But like. They are being, you know, they're exiles. They're almost refugees, and they can be generations of living in a new place, but they are still treated poorly. Yeah. And pirating is a good way of just getting out there and leveling the playing field. You don't need a last name. True. To keep you going. Weird with the Dutch guys though, because they probably could have done I'm very well. The guy yeah.
1: had a, a a wife and two children. Exactly. I feel like he was established. I think he was probably
0: doing fine, and then just decided to get away. So he's also not. We shouldn't be legendizing him no. at all. So, he's started off this new career, um, but almost quite soon, things get a little more difficult for him because actually Algiers, who which is the city-state that is kind of sponsoring him as a Barbary Corsair, the day of Algiers actually signs a peace treaty with many European nations. So, suddenly... They don't want their pirates going after uh, European ships. Ah. Murat Reyes doesn't like that. He wants to continue being a pirate. So he instead makes his way to the ancient port city of Saleh. Now, to give you a bit of an origin of Saleh, it is a city in Morocco. And it actually, it's existed for quite a long time, but it kind of started to flourish uh, in early 17th century when uh, some Moriscos, which are, in Spanish, little Moors, um, mm-hmm. essentially fled Spain after the Spanish uh, king decided that we're having no more Muslims. They were kind of kicking all of the, the Muslims and the Moors out of the country. So they started to, you know, spread across uh, head east and spread across the kind of Barbary coast. And a huge amount of them, especially the ones that left early, made their way to Morocco. And they initially went to the city of Rabat in Morocco. But again, hard to kind of assimilate. The The, the Moriscos here were Christians, but they were Christians that were descendants from Muslims who had been converted to Christianity. Ah. So they still had this stigma and they still had a lot of kind of Muslim traditions. They dressed uh, like Muslims, even though they were technically Christians and also racially exactly the same as the... Old Christians in Spain, who were essentially the Christians that never converted to Islam, they were still treated poorly by the by the by the Spanish. So when they came over to the Barbary Coast, they were then treated poorly by the Muslims. They were they were caught between two camps. Basically. Exactly. Okay. So they couldn't stay in Rabat. So instead, they went over the river to the smaller walled city of Salé um, and kind of flourished there. And that's where this city. Um, kind of started to move a lot quicker it had existed for quite a while beforehand but a much smaller kind of sister city to rabat but now with this kind of influx of moriscos and very wealthy moriscos who'd come from spain because they Mm. kind of got out before they were getting kicked out so they took a lot of their stuff with them took a lot of their wealth with them and they turned saleh into a proper pirate hub into a kind of pirate nation and they actually named it the Republic of Saleh. Really? So, you know, flying in the face of all of these other, you know, kingdoms and monarch-ruled nations, they were the Republic of Saleh. And they needed a leader. So they picked 14 pirates to lead them. And at the head, their president, they named Murat Rees. You're kidding. Yeah so that's so cool how bad is that so we always think of like nassau, nassau.
1: as the republic of pirates but this is the first republic of pirates this is
0: and sounds like a lot bigger because nassau struggles doesn't it really it's never yeah, it never becomes yeah. like a full city whereas this is almost a city state it gets so powerful fascinating
1: oh well, yeah i mean uh, well the difference between them and the other ones is uh, is the democracy or the republic i guess it's not a republic sorry it's not a democratic republic. <laughs> It's an yeah. oligarchy. It
0: sounds very much
1: like an oligarchy. So it's like Venice.
0: Yeah. There's 14 pirate leaders. One of them is Murat Rees and he yeah. is their president. But it seems like they are the ruling force. And because it is a city that really flourishes, but its main source of income is piracy. Yeah. And then all of the extra features that go along with piracy, they're not becoming this massive kind of city state. They are a,
1: you know, a maritime nation purely based on piracy. Is uh, just sorry geographically, just for our listeners and for me, mm-hmm. is uh, Salé on so in Morocco? Is it on the uh, is it on the Mediterranean coast or the Atlantic coast?
0: It is on the Atlantic coast, okay. so it is yeah. It's west of essentially Gibraltar, you know, is where it kind of divides. Um, it's kind of mostly south of Gibraltar, so um, okay. Nearer, actually not too far away from
1: Casablanca. Ah, interesting. Okay. So yeah,
0: so it's a kind of probably one of the furthest west ports of the Barbary Coast, because really, once you go a bit further, it's no longer quite... Morocco is the end of the Barbary Coast, because the rest of it is all east of it, along the Mediterranean. You,
1: yeah, because then the further south you go, you get um, Portuguese citadels, mm. like um, Suera, which is still there today, which I'd like to go visit one day, um, and it was built around this time mm. so interesting okay i mean i imagine
0: that realistically if you're building a pirate republic you wouldn't want to go f- too far south along the western african coast because there's less trade that way you want to be near the english channel you want to be near the mediterranean you want to be near all these important choke points where you could raid a bunch of ships
1: certainly at this time yeah exactly, in the yeah. early part of this pirate era yeah because obviously um, soon the African slave trade yeah, 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 would so. be massive. But of course, at this early stage, they won't have ocean-going vessels yet. Well, they will, but the states will have them rather than the individual pirates. Mm. Okay, cool.
0: So Murat Rees, once Yan yanzoon now turned pirate of the Barbary pirate, Coast yeah. and now president of a par- pirate republic.
1: That is so cool. So he's come far in life. Pirate president. That yeah. has a good ring to
0: it. It's great. I, honestly, that was one of the things I liked first, the, the fact that he's named president, not king or not anything <laughs> seems old-fashioned. He was just president. I wonder if they all had to owe allegiance to him. Did he do like a... <laughs> I, honestly, I tried to find as much information about the Republic of Saleh, but it's it's a complicated time in history, and I don't think they were particularly good at bookkeeping. No. Um, so it's it's an interesting time for the nation. And apparently Murat Rees was a great leader. So oh, really? all the records say he was very intelligent, he was very fierce, he, he you know and he led them through quite a few years of economic prosperity. It's about 3 years he rules. Um but towards the end, which is like a it's not that far from a presidential term in America. It's you know, it's a fairly decent time to be ruling a nation. Yeah. And so but towards the end he's getting a bit restless. Or the political situation is getting a bit more, depending on which region you want to go for it. <laughs> but let's say he was getting restless and, you know, the sea was calling to him again. Okay. So he decides to leave the Republic of Salé. You know, he's set it up. He's like George Washington returning to his fields.
1: What? But he's returning Round to Vernon. piracy and, you know, he's returning to slaving, essentially. So it's a little worse. Yeah. But, Although quite similar, actually, because George Washington went back to his slave run uh, Mount Vernon.
0: He's basically the George Washington of the Barbary Coast. Yeah. President.
1: Slave owner.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, There'll be a brand new musical soon about this guy. <laughs> I think there are some films and, or TV shows about them, but I've not heard of any. Anyway. No, I've never heard of it. Um, so in 1627, Murat Rees set sails again to terrorise the Barbary Coast and beyond. Now, this is when some of his most famous raids took place. So in the same year, so in 1627, so the same year he leaves... Rees led his what are now called the Saleh Rovers. So these are the kind of the
1: <laughs> The Saleh Rovers. The Saleh
0: Rovers, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a, a football team. It does, yeah, 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 They're they're five and oh, they're doing really well. Um and he leads them to the British Isles, where he he invades and captures the Isle of Lundy. Oh. Do you know where the Isle of Lundy is? Is it off um, off the Cornish coast? Yes, yeah. it's in the Bristol Channel So it ah. is ideal for raiding British ships going in and out of Bristol And also probably hiring pirates Yeah Because there's a bunch of them all in Ireland, in Ireland or a bunch of them all in Bristol Yeah, I mean That's, and where, that's, that's where we get the pirate voice from <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly
1: Army me timbers. So they apparently hold it for
0: five years Five? Which yeah, is a, which is longer than he was president. So yeah. I know I've been, you know, banging on about being president, but actually he's the mayor of London, I guess. London, London. He's <laughs> the mayor of Lundy for far longer. Yeah, which is interesting because I, I mean, at this point he's fifty-seven, so I'm wondering whether or not he's like, oh, I'm sick of this Barbary Coast politics. You know, it's all, it's hot and it's, it's so it's much burning it's so my ginger skin. Exactly. And so he returns to a, a climate more similar to his home, his hometown. I mean, he doesn't want to go back to Netherlands because he has to deal his with his wife, it's for yeah. his wife and kids. <laughs> but you know, the Isle of Lundy is his new conquest. So, him and his men take over the Isle of Lundy and use it as a base of operations for the next
1: five years. Five years? Yeah. It's quite what intense. the hell were the English doing? Like, I guess it's just still very early. He's yeah. kind of got the benefit of having a a fledgling. Uh, English Navy at this point, it still wasn't being built. Yeah, exactly.
0: And really, it seems like a lot of his crew were British and presumably from when he was uh, sat up there. So he may have been, been tipped off when the Royal Navy were coming after him. It's a remarkable length of time. Also, and shockingly very little on it, because Lundy does not have... I think they do have one museum. I'm now really eager to go, but it's really
1: difficult to get there, I, think. I bet it is. Yeah. But he's also still Muslim. Yep, still so Muslim. You're telling me that a little island in the Bristol Channel was ruled by a Muslim ruler, mm. a Dutch Muslim... A Dutch Muslim ruler, ex-president... This is absolutely crazy, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah, he's like a—he's like such an anomaly. He's like mm. cussing, he's slicing through all these bits of history which people like to keep separate.
0: I wonder what like the legends around him would have been in Bristol while he was ruling it. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. that island that you have to sail past—be careful—or the Dutch. Muslim pirate president will come hunting you, and it would just be this bizarre. I mean, what? It would be amazing. I mean, Lundy is also tiny. Yeah. Like, I don't know what. He, I think there's maybe like a fort on it, but like,
1: yeah, because it's in
0: ruins. So I'm not sure if it was around then, but like, how was? It, how did they sustain?
1: That's what. I, it's just piracy. Oh yeah, obviously.
0: Every, t- every time they need more food, they just went out and stole <laughs> some, and just They were fine.
1: Can, yeah, just had to keep raiding those poor British yeah. farmers. <laughs> But then,
0: you know, well, because he'd, they'd raid the merchant ships and then probably go, right, we're stealing all the stuff. Also, anyone want a job? Because, yeah. Because, you know, you we didn't need want
1: them. to go all the way to the the other side of the world, just come to
0: London. Exactly. Imagine being a Barbary pirate just off the coast of Bristol, yeah. of Cornwall.
1: That's easy. I wonder if that technically
0: means for a short bit of time, Cornwall was part of the Barbary coast. I think that makes sense, doesn't uh, it? Yeah, I guess. You yeah, can claim yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, it was, you know, it was in the sphere of, as you say, a Muslim. Pirate that yeah. was ruling
1: over the Bristol Channel for five years. That is fascinating. It's it's I very love bizarre. It. I love it when history does that.
0: So while he's ruling there, and actually in the same year that he takes it, so the same year that he leaves being president, takes over Lundy and sets himself up there. So all in 1627, he also goes on another raid, and he goes this time he goes all the way to the north to Iceland where he raids the small town of Grindavik, which was the story we told at the beginning.
1: I just have so many questions. I do as well, actually, and there isn't
0: as much information about this as I could
1: find. Yeah, like, he, there were so many places he could have raided in between the Bristol Channel and I, Iceland. I think he does. I think it's just these well, are, the, just on a tour these are on. the
0: famous ones. It's actually supposedly that he, the, one of the reasons he goes to Iceland is because he hadn't done very well. It was like a, like a year or two since he had like a big raid. <laughs> <laughs> um, since leaving, I guess, the um, the Republic. So, so he needed a comeback tour. He, he needed something big. Um,
1: <laughs> right. So he thought, Iceland, Iceland that's, that's, that's where we'll I'll go. go. <laughs> yeah. And it worked. So how how profitable was the raid on Iceland? Well, they stole hundreds of people.
0: They didn't steal much gold or treasure or anything because there isn't a huge amount in Iceland. Okay. But there's lots of people who look weird and probably sell well. Again, not a good dude. He is stealing people and selling people in slavery. Mm. And actually... I haven't read this book, but there is a really interesting book that I kind of do now really want to read that is the memoirs of the Reverend that we were talking about oh. earlier. So Reverend Ola forgot his name. Egglesson, wasn't it? Yeah, Egelson So Reverend Olafer Egelson is a Protestant uh Reverend on the in Iceland in the small town of Grindavik, mm. And he writes a book telling of his <laughs> adventures or his, you know, horrors of being captured by murat Reis, taken by uh what he assumes and what lots of people from iceland assume are turkish raiders because they're all islamic they have turbans even though some of them speak with english accents they're just like this is the turkish raids which isn't kind of true at all no but that's what they're uh, equated to and he gets sold into slavery but eventually he finds his way back it's only he's only out for you know and on this kind of large-scale adventure, I shouldn't call it adventure, but for about a year, year and a half. And then he is able to come back to Iceland because actually a lot of the slaves that were taken were ransomed back. And that's actually how they got it. So it was it was more kidnappings, but they were like uh. taken to the Barbary Coast, almost sold into slavery, but then maybe the people who bought them went, I can get more money. They'll get letters from uh, Icelanders or you know, rich people from Europe saying... I know you've got my son as a slave. I'll pay you all this money to get him back.
1: You know what that's just reminded me of? Yeah. So you know um, The Dragonman's Curse? Yes. The guy in that, who I can't remember the name of. For the for listeners' benefit, what was that episode? It was called The Dragonman's Curse. Oh, is it? a bit like, explain it. Oh, over. sorry, right. Um... Yeah right. So to so that episode, go back and listen to it. In in for me personally, it was my favourite episode. It's
0: one of my favourite ones you've done. I think to, it's to such do, a mean. cool. It's such a cool episode. Yeah.
1: So basically, there was a, a French merchant who was a. Well, I won't give too much away. But basically, he was sort of finding ancient uh, Alexandrian wonders and selling mm. them to uh, Europeans. But anyway, he was kidnapped and chucked onto a slave ship by an Ottoman by the Ottomans because he got too big for his boots. Basically. And um, no one came to ransom him. And he died in a slavers prison in, I think, Istanbul. So, you know, it it just shows you that being uh, enslaved was still very much a thing all the way through. But fortunately, Icelanders clearly had quite a lot of financial worth.
0: Yes. So it sounds like, because at at this point in history, they were very much ruled by the Danes. Um, And so it seems that, like, if you were more well off, you would be connected with, you know, Danish upper class and stuff like that, and so would be able to afford a ransom back. And also, you know, I can't imagine these Icelanders were doing very well in the heat of the, of North Africa, so probably were pretty useless slaves. And went oh, actually, okay, It's yeah. probably easier just to sell them on. But it's interesting that this slave trade is more than just... It's not the slave trade, like the African slave trade, that will soon progress, where it is just wrenching people halfway across the world to put them to work. It's got more of a kind of kidnapping... Ransoming back slant to it, mm, which mm. sounds awful. That sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's the kind of it's it's that kind of world. It's not. It hasn't become the. And
1: be, what is even worse later? Yeah, and people not, ask like, when think. you know, as a historian, where would you want to go back in time to? None of it. None of it. It's awful. None of it. It's, it sounds. It's, it sounds terrible. rough. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, like and even if you're one of
0: the pirates, like the the guy I mentioned earlier, Suleiman Rees the other oh, yeah. the other Dutchman, um he uh got his legs blown off by a Dutch cannon when he got when he got in a fight with the Dutch, French and English. Wow. See. So yeah, so there, there is something the other karmic way. about that. I think it is. Yeah,
1: I think that's that's fair enough. <laughs> a Dutch cannonball took out a Dutch pirate's legs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what he was,
0: when he, was tra- he was trying to be a Barbary corsair. Yeah. Okay, okay. So, uh, and then the other raid that I want to mention that Murat Rees did was quite an interesting one. So he would also raid up and down the coast of Ireland. Hmm. But during one of the raids, he took a man named John Hackett, who uh, is an, he was an Irish Catholic. And supposedly Murat Rees asked John Hackett, where should I raid in Ireland? So oh. he may have like offered him a little bit of like, share of the, the reward, you know, that kind of thing. And John Hackett supposedly pointed him in the direction of a protestant town which <laughs> used to be ruled or used to be uh inhabited by uh the I think it's the O'Driscoll clan the catholic O'Driscoll clan that Hackett was part of but then had been forced out by the protestants so he got Murries to raid his old town oh, and leave amazing. the now catholic town alone and but then supposedly Murries only kidnapped the english residents so the very protestant english residents <laughs> because you could make more money off them, but left the
1: Catholics alone, because I guess
0: John Hackett, smooth talker, was able to go, hey, just take the
1: English. Absolutely, and also at that time, if the Protestants were there, then they were um, the only landowners. Exactly. So they would obviously be the ones which you would want to steal Not as useful stealing, stealing Catholics, but, yeah.
0: um, and you know... Murray's has fully converted, so he doesn't care. Can you
1: imagine being the Catholic, uh, sort of um, the downtrodden Catholics, watching your Protestant overlords getting nicked yeah. by, a, by a Muslim? A, a Dutch Muslim, Muslim. Yeah, going, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: That's so funny.
0: So it's a strange old time it when is. he was ruling
1: Lundy and just harassing the British Isles and all the way up to Iceland. And did the British have no response? Did no one try and, like, unseat him? So... He does eventually get unseated, okay. but not by the British, by an even
0: more unlikely opponent, I would say. So another group that are operating um, in the seas around the Mediterranean, because he is still going back to the Mediterranean. He goes back. He actually becomes quite close with, the, um, I think, the new day of Algiers. So he's, And actually, once things started to heat up in Saleh, when he moved away, he moved his Moroccan – sorry – his, um Moorish family um over to Algiers so he's still got connections there he's still kind of is liked and, and you know protected there um but on one of his trips uh to the Barbary coast he is attacked by the knights of Malta
1: oh <gasps> who are actually the, the
0: Knights hospitaller who are Crusaders essentially oh my god God, this story. It's bizarre. Like, a bunch of knights go after him. Because that's the thing. And I don't know, I feel like you will know more about the Knights of to that. But essentially, they, at some point, take over the island of Malta. Yeah. Stay there for a really long time. You know who got rid of them? Who? Napoleon. Oh, my God. Like, it's just, there's so many layers to the story. Yeah. So, But they're there for so long. And obviously, they are, you know, Crusader knights. So they are... Massively opposed to all these Barbary Corsairs. And probably really annoyed at you know White. Western Christians who have converted and are now raiding Christian merchant ships. So they get a real bee in their bonnet and they go after Murat Rees and they succeed. So they outnumber him, capture him, and throw him in there. Supposedly, they have these really dark, awful dungeons on Malta where he's tortured. He's like deprived of sleep and food. And it really weakens him. I mean, at this point, he is... Uh, actually where does it say yeah uh, this is in 1635 so he's 65 at this point he's had this long career very successful career but this is gonna hit him hard I mean he's finally been captured the last time he was captured he was able to convert to Islam and become a pirate again so probably wasn't that bad this is way worse this is people who really despise him and he is treated awfully again he was a slaver we probably shouldn't feel too bad for him but I don't think that's necessarily why they're going after him. They're going after him because he was Christian, he was Dutch, converted to Islam, and is now raiding Christian ships. It's, it's I think, it's a, a bit
1: like uh, a prison guard being put in with prisoners. You know, like once they've been convicted of something, he's gonna get torn apart. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So he is he he really he has an awful time of it. Yeah. But he is saved. Oh Algiers! The day of Algiers sends this huge um, kind of corsair fleet to raid the island of Malta and free a bunch of um, prisoners because there's a bunch of people that the Knights of Malta have caught, and they do it and they free him.
1: Really? What? So they break into the prison? Yes. Is, so they take. How is this not a film? I mean, it is a film apparently, but I, why yeah. is I have never heard this? It's, it, it's very long and complicated.
0: That's maybe why. Yeah, I, guess I mean, they do it so. with Napoleon, but um... yeah, well. But yeah, so it's it's mad. So he is he is rescued, but this is starting to... I mean, this is now in uh, 1640, so he's 70 years old at this point. Righty. And has spent the last
1: five years in horrific conditions in a dark dungeon on Malta. You know what's really interesting about his life? Mm-hmm. Just in terms of English chronology. Yeah. He was born in the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. 1570, yeah. Then he outlived her, obviously. She died in 1603. Then in comes James the First, who was the Scottish one. Yeah. And now he is in he's just been released by the Day of Algiers during the English Civil War being fought at the time or just before. No, Mm. no, no, it's happening at the time. So he he's he is spanned. His lifespan has seen so much change, yeah, and that's just in that nation. Unfortunately, I don't know my Dutch history as well as I know my <laughs> English history, but you know what I mean. It's fascinating to see. Well, still, some... Eighty Years War. So, well, yeah, still so... fighting. Yeah, <laughs> not much has changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, still,
0: still. I mean, I'm sure lots have changed. We should know more about Dutch history, but I wonder you know, if his son was fighting in this in the Eighty Years War. It seems like, although to be honest, I suspect that his Dutch son didn't survive very long. He's not mentioned in anything else I've seen. Um, yeah, okay. His daughter, however, does survive because she comes to visit him in Algiers. So Uh-oh. after he is recovered by the day of Algiers, he is brought back to uh, the city and is kept very lavishly, but is kind of done with his pirating age. And supposedly, let me read it again um, in December of 1640, Lisbeth, his, his daughter, Lisbeth Janzoon van Harlen, so obviously she hasn't taken the new Murat Reis name, um, <laughs> comes to visit him. And when she arrived, Yanzun, or Murat Ries, um was supposedly seated with, in great pomp on a carpet with silk cushions and servants around him. So he has, you know, she sees him after all these years, after abandoning his whole family. And he has lived this long old life. He's probably quite frail and weak at this point because of his horrific time in Malta. But he's still, you know, radiating power and wealth because he is so revered in this part of the world. It must have been
1: mad. Yeah, I bet I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for that one. Because I'm presuming yeah. his his uh his other family are in that room as well. <laughs> Can you yeah. Imagine how yeah. awkward that might have Complicate been?
0: complicated history because
1: but I doubt he got any sort of warning that she was coming. How would you have? I mean, oh,
0: I would. I would
1: assume possibly. I mean, letter maybe. He
0: may have. He may have sent letters back to his family. There's not, you know, he's he's a hard guy to pin down, and we don't know a huge amount about him. Okay, but maybe he did keep in touch with. I mean, he didn't want to ever go back to Netherlands. You know, he was done with that life and found his new life in the Barbary Coast. But maybe he kept in touch. And maybe maybe. after these, maybe five years of not hearing anything, and then she finally receives another letter, and goes, you know, I'm
1: older now. I could go and see him. I'm just sort of imagining the early modern postal system. (laughs) I can't imagine how that works. Well, I mean, it must have been... Merchant ships must It must have
0: been pretty good, because you constantly have to negotiate with... You know, Icelanders have to negotiate with slavers in the Barbary Coast to get their family back. Yeah, I mean, it must have been... Yeah, fascinating. Okay, okay. And she stays for a year. Oh, wow. She stays looking after him, and then she leaves, and then sadly we don't really know what happens to him. He fades from public life and presumably passes away in... A little more anonymity he doesn't go out in a in a blaze of gunfire he doesn't get his legs blown
1: off like his contemporary did but you know what that is so rare for a Fairly pirate rare. to retire essentially mm. i mean not not a good pirate in mm. any sense of the word but to live that level of risk and die probably of old age 35 years of active piracy with a short Three year stint as president of a pirate republic. And then, then a five year stint as King of Lundy. King, Emperor, whatever King he Muhammad, wanted to be. You know, Tsar, yeah. he could have done whatever he wanted.
0: Yeah. Maybe Sultan he would have gone with? Sultan of Lundy. Sultan of Lundy, that would have yeah,
1: been quite cool. We have definitely got to get in touch with the Island of Lundy.
0: Yes. If there's anyone listening from the Island of Lundy, which is unlikely because it doesn't seem hugely inhabited, but if you are, please reach out to you reach out to you please reach out to us because it sounds like it would be fascinating history I did actually look on the map they do have a museum of Lundy okay so there is probably someone who works there who knows all about they got to listen to this and they might know far more they might know stories about Murat Rees while he lived there while he was sultan of Lundy that we don't know
1: that is really really cool I really enjoyed that story that is
0: really interesting and there's one little tidbit I want to add to this as well so his son of his uh, Moorish wife. I mentioned at the beginning that I'd that I'd come back to them. So he had a son, uh Anthony. Interestingly, the name given is Anthony Janzoon Van Sale. So it's a weird combination. Oh. So it uses his old last name, but Van Sale of so Sale. Of Sale, yeah, yeah. This guy is also very interesting. He um grew up with his parents on the Barbary Coast, but then Emigrated as a very wealthy man, probably inheriting. He was fourth son of um, Murat Rees, so but still probably had a lot of wealth. He emigrates to America. I was gonna say, something. and he start, sets up a bit of a dynasty. Although it's you know it it's probably fairly big with the sort of things that he, you know, the wealth he brought to America. But then it gets massive because one of his descendants is Cornelius Vanderbilt.
1: No, no. Yeah. No, no, so no. The no, Vanderbilts
0: no. are descendants of, of Mar- Mar- Yan Yanzun You are kidding. And the Vanderbilts have their own series of like oh, descendants well. in modern day. I think Anderson Cooper, who's a big um, news guy, he's a descendant of them. Timothy 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 Oliphant, the actor, is also and Humphrey Bogart also, I mean, you know, presumably they all got their jobs through connections. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. They're all pretty good. But yeah, so there's this huge legacy, and it all kind of goes back. I mean, you know, you know, genealogy. When you go back far enough, you've got tons of you know ancestors.
1: You do, but to have an unbroken line from Murat Rees or his son, anyway. Oh no, from Murat Rees down to the Vanderbilts in the new nation. Because if if it's his son, then you're talking about some of the earliest settlers Mm. of 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 the USA before the USA. Mm. So it's like pre. It's actually pre-American. It's yeah. It's, bre- sorry, it's pretty intense. Pre-European yeah. colonization mm. of the Americas. Yeah. North America. Bloody hell. This is hard. You know what I mean. <laughs>
0: and I wonder. Actually, I've just thought this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna look at this now because I can find, um, the dude. Right. So his son Anthony Anzun, um, prominent owner, Yada yada yada. Do I have his? Oh, there's not much information. Because what I'm wondering. Is the Vanderbilt you know, dynasty one of the richest families, empires, that's almost ever existed? Out
1: there with the Rockefellers and everyone else. We've done
0: this at some point where we looked at all like the richest people in the world. And the Vanderbilts and Rockefellers kind of are other than, I think, uh, that African leader who kind of just owned infinite money. And then technically people like Caesar because their wealth is almost, Well, Crassus, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard to figure out how much because they just kind of ruled a massive empire. They didn't really have wealth. And then also compared to some modern people. But the Vanderbilts are right at the top of like yeah. the most wealthy people in the world. This clearly indicates that they didn't start with nothing. No. But the wealth that that family owns kind of does start with Yan, Yan Zun Because he's not wealthy when he's born. Nope. He becomes rich. And that wealth trickles down all the way to become one of the richest families in world history. Yeah. Certainly American history he's the one that starts
1: it. It's so cool. Unless
0: at some point between him and the Vanderbilts, they lose all their money and build it back up again, and I can't find the tree. Let's leave it as a legend, if so. You know what I mean? So this (laughs) this Christian Dutch privateer who abandoned his family to become a Muslim Barbary Coast pirate... President. ...who then went on to become president, and then, let's go with Tsar of Lundy, built up this massive fortune... Retired, and you know, and was finally taken down by Crusader Knights Hospitaller, and but then retired with money and handed his wealth over to his son that
1: moved to America. He is the origin of the Vanderbilt empire of money, and that's the hot take. You you go anywhere else, you're not going to find as hot a take as that coming that is, through the airwaves. Yeah. That's
0: amazing. (laughs) Maybe because it's not true and actually there's some break
1: in that thing. But we're going to go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're sticking with this. I love that. That's so good. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. That was a hell of a story to tell.
0: Well, that is the end of our story and the end of the first episode of Phase 2. The new era. The, the, new, the new era. We've, we've transformed. We've said goodbye to our old Dutch family and we have blossomed and converted to this new way of doing podcasting.
1: We so have. I love that.
0: <laughs> um, so we will be back next month, uh, towards the end of the month again, so in February, and with a tale from Will. Will, do you want to give us a sneak peek? an interlude, a a hint, a, an amuse-bouche of what you'll be telling us next week. Absolutely. Next, next week. <laughs> oh, there you He's go. I've done it already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> next month.
1: Next month. Uh, okay, yeah, so mine uh, will be taking place a couple of hundred years after the uh, Murat Rees presidency. Murat Rees presidency. And much closer, sadly, to home to me, I've gone for a a English story uh, mm. about a, I'm trying to be very coy about this, about someone who you've definitely heard of. Yeah. Um, for those who uh, who know him by this name, the Iron Duke, uh, but nothing to do with why you know him. Right. And that's all I'm going to give you. <laughs> I don't know who the Iron Duke is, so I'm very excited to learn
0: about that next month. Yeah. Thanks uh, ever so much for listening, guys. As always, um, check us out on our Instagram at Cloak & Dagger Podcast, where you can find out a bunch more information. We put loads of images up there so you can kind of see the kind of vibe. I think there's some old maps of the Republic of Saleh. You know, there's some really interesting stuff on there that I think adds colour to this (laughs) just audio. Production, you know, we can't really give you that much more than audio. But if you can go there, you can find out some cool stuff.
1: Yeah, and also, guys, always keep in touch with us on through our Instagram. You can always message me uh, as the social media manager, and I will filter through your lovely comments or your uh, your complaints if that happens uh, to Patrick or myself. And also, please just uh, tell a friend about us if you enjoyed this episode. Yes, and uh, we'll uh, see you soon in another episode. Yeah, if you know anyone from the Isle of Lundy. We really want them
0: to reach out. We'd love to get in touch. We'll we'll do a whole episode on
1: the island just because that sounds fun. Yeah, (laughs) sounds good. And uh, without further ado, thank you so much for listening, guys. And we'll see you on the next one. See you next month.